The Braille Forum, Volume 49, September 2010, Number 3. Published by the American Council of the Blind. Read by Nanette Savard in the studios of the Cutting Corporation, Bethesda, Maryland. This recording is tone indexed. The beginning of each item in the table of contents will be indicated by a beep, audible when your cassette player is in fast forward or rewind. The American Council of the Blind strives to increase the independence, security, equality of opportunity, and to improve quality of life for all blind and visually impaired people. Mitch Pomerantz, President. Melanie Brunson, Executive Director. Sharon Lovering, Editor. National Office. 2200 Wilson Boulevard, Suite 650, Arlington, Virginia. 22201. 202. 467-5081. Fax, 703-465-5085. Website, http colon slash slash www.acb.org. The Braille Forum, registered trademark, is available in Braille, large print, half-speed, four-track cassette tape, and via email. Subscription requests, address changes, and items intended for publication should be sent to Sharon Lovering at the address above or via email to slovering at acb.org. The American Council of the Blind, registered trademark, is a membership organization made up of more than 70 state and special interest affiliates. To join, Visit the ACB website and complete an application form, or contact the national office at the number listed above. Those much needed contributions, which are tax deductible, can be sent to Mike Godino at the above mailing address. If you wish to remember a relative or friend, the national office can make printed cards available for this purpose. To remember the American Council of the Blind in your last will and testament, You may include a special paragraph for that purpose. If your wishes are complex, contact the ACB National Office. Join the monthly monetary support, MMS program, and help improve tomorrow today in ACB. Contact Ron Milliman by email, rmilliman at insighthtbb.com or by phone at 270 7829325 and get started making tomorrow look brighter today to make a contribution to ACB via the combined federal campaign use this number 11155 for the latest in legislative and governmental news call the Washington Connection toll free at 800-424-8666 5pm to midnight eastern time or visit the Washington Connection online at http://www.acb.org Copyright 2010 American Council of the Blind Table of Contents President's Report to the National Convention Part 1 by Mitch Pomerantz Side 1 ACB celebrates house approval of HR 3101 by Melanie Brunson. Side 1. Summary of the ACB Board of Directors teleconference, June 9th, 2010, by Marsha Dresser. Side 
ACB Conference and Convention, Great Times in the West, by Carla Rushevel. Side 1. Phoenix, Up from the Ashes of a Prehistoric Civilization, by Penny Crane. Side 1. ACB Members Find Treasures at Auction, by Brenda Dillon. Side 2. Second Annual ACB Walk is a Wrap, by Dan Dillon. Side 2. Dog Hair in the Air, by Netajean Kirkpatrick. Side 2. What I Learned in Sightsaving Class, by Cheryl A. Price. Side 2. A Sailing Story, The Spiritual and Transformational Aspects of Sailing, by Vic Lianza. Side 2. Lagging Behind My Father as He Revisited the North Carolina School for the Deaf at Morganton, 1996. By John Lee Clark. Side 2. Reflections of a First-Time Babysitter. By Mike Halley. Side 2. Affiliate News. Side 2. Here and There. Edited by Sue Lichtenfels. Side 3. High-Tech Swap Shop. Side 3. Forum Subscription Notes. You can now get the Braille Forum by podcast. To subscribe... Go to the Braille Forum page on www.acb.org. If you do not yet have a podcast client, you can download one from the Forum page. To subscribe to the Braille Forum via email, go to www.acb.org slash m-a-i-l-m-a-n slash l-i-s-t-i-n-f-o slash b-r-a-i-l-l-e F-O-R-U-M hyphen L. Are you moving? Do you want to change your subscription? Contact Sharon Lovering in the ACB National Office, 1-800-424-8666, or via email, S-L-O-V-E-R-I-N-G at A-C-B dot org. Give her the information, and she'll take care of the changes for you. President's Report to the National Convention, Part 1, by Mitch Pomerantz. As I've done for the previous two years, the next, three in this case, President's Columns, will be taken from the report given to the membership on Sunday evening of the ACB National Conference and Convention. For those of you who were not there, or unable to listen via ACB radio, I trust that my remarks will fill you in adequately on our activities since the 2009 convention. Ladies and gentlemen, it is once again an honor and a privilege to stand before you, the members of the ACB Council of the Blind, to highlight some of our activities since the 2009 convention in Orlando. This year's gathering marks ACB's 49th annual National Conference and Convention, as we are calling it, and I'll explain the reasons for this change shortly. Approximately 2,000 of us are here in Phoenix, Arizona, to again demonstrate the wisdom and foresight of ACB's founders in establishing a truly democratic, grassroots, national organization of blind and visually impaired people, in my opinion, the only such organization in our nation today. This will be my third report as ACB president, And in many respects, the past year has been our most successful since my election in 2007. 
In other respects, however, this has been a difficult year for ACB, and certainly for blind people everywhere in the country. Of necessity, I am compelled to comment upon those challenges facing all of us as well. Before going further, let me briefly explain the Board's thinking behind adding the word conference to the official designation for our annual gathering. First, convention has taken on a somewhat negative meaning in recent years, thanks in large part to our two major political party conventions. Conference, on the other hand, has a more positive meaning in the minds of most people, as in a serious meeting of people interested in a set of issues. Our intent in making this change, and in proposing an amendment to the Constitution, which you will have the opportunity to consider later this week, is to attract more professionals in the field of blindness to this gathering, as well as to obtain sponsors willing to offer financial support to ACB. In the spirit of this organization, you will have the final say as to whether this change is temporary or permanent. As we approach what I consider to be the final months of the first decade of the 21st century, blind and visually impaired people face daunting and unprecedented challenges to life as we've experienced it for the past two generations or so. Many would argue that this isn't necessarily a bad thing. After all, the blind are, with some exceptions, viewed as being part of the lower socioeconomic stratum of society— Perhaps a shake-up in the existing order wouldn't be such a bad thing. Unfortunately, the changes I'm foreseeing spell tougher, not easier times for us. If you doubt this, if it sounds overly dramatic, then let me outline some of those challenges, both to blind and visually impaired people generally, and to the membership of ACB specifically. I will also mention some of the activities we have undertaken over the past year to address those challenges. As I see it, the challenges facing all of us fall within the categories of education, rehabilitation, employment, transportation, and access to information. Two additional issues, fundraising and membership development, relate directly to the future viability and growth of the American Council of the Blind, we are addressing many of these challenges extremely well. Others require more effort and commitment. In the area of education, we are experiencing an unprecedentedly low rate of Braille literacy, estimated at around 10% among blind children. We are seeing the closure and or consolidation of a growing number of schools for the blind around the country, most recently in Iowa, where the residential school is being converted to a resource center with the acquiescence of the Iowa Department for the Blind and the NFB of Iowa. We are seeing a growing shortage of qualified teachers of the visually impaired and the elimination of teacher preparation programs around the country. Compounding this shortage is the national stampede to mainstream all children with disabilities. If these trends continue... How will future generations of blind children become proficient in Braille and the other skills they need to be contributing members of society? The answer is, they won't. This past year, I established a Schools for the Blind task force, ably chaired by Ray Campbell. That task force conducted a very successful training at the President's meeting in February and will be holding another valuable session this week. 
It may be that this group will need to expand its activities in order to address the other issues adversely affecting the education of blind children. Like death and taxes, rehabilitation and employment are inevitable concerns for us. Regarding rehabilitation, there are two serious issues facing us today. Maintaining existing separate state agencies, departments, or commissions for the blind, and counteracting NFB influence over those separate entities, something about which I've commented on at some length in previous reports to you. The ongoing economic crisis affecting most states is offered as justification for the consolidation trend. The National Governors Association has released a document calling for the elimination of all small, separate agencies and commissions in order to cut costs within state governments. Ladies and gentlemen, those are our programs the governors are talking about. Regarding the issue of NFB influence, I will mention here that earlier this year, Melanie Brunson and I met on a couple of occasions with the new Commissioner for the Rehabilitation Services Administration, Lene Rutledge. She also attended and spoke at our President's meeting. I believe it's safe to say that everyone who heard her remarks came away with the feeling that Ms. Rutledge will deal with us fairly and equitably, and that she wants to work collaboratively with ACB. Employment, or the lack thereof, continues to be an ongoing concern. Two weeks from tomorrow, we will celebrate the 20th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Most of the so called disability experts believe that the overall unemployment rate for us has actually increased since 1990. This past year has seen ACB working closely with the Blind Entrepreneurs Alliance and our own Randolph Shepard Vendors of America to address serious attacks on the blind priority and to expand employment opportunities within the vending program. We are also joining with National Industries for the Blind to counter efforts from the broader disability community to eliminate NIB and NISH operated facilities, which are misperceived as sheltered workshops. Until the day comes when qualified blind and visually impaired persons can be assured that they will receive equal consideration with their sighted peers in the hiring process, ACB must do everything in our power. To maintain and grow both the Randolph Shepard and NIB programs. ACB celebrates House approval of H.R. 3101 by Melanie Brunson. On July 26th, Eric Bridges, ACB's Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs, posted the following message to our leadership list. On the 20th anniversary of the signing of the ADA, the U.S. House of Representatives passed H.R. 3101, the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. The bill passed by a 348 to 23 vote. This represents resounding bipartisan support. ACB, as a steering committee member of the Coalition of Organizations for Accessible Technology, COAT, Wishes to express its sincere appreciation for the tireless advocacy of Representative Ed Markey, Democrat Massachusetts, through this long and difficult process. The blind and deaf blind communities have a staunch advocate in Representative Markey. 
It is also quite appropriate to express our thanks to the chairman of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, Henry Waxman, Democrat, California, for the critical role he played in working with Cote and the Republicans on his committee, so that 3101 could be bipartisan. Thank you also to the ranking member of the Energy and Commerce Committee, Joe Barton, Republican, Texas, and Representative Cliff Stearns, Republican, Florida, for their willingness to work in a bipartisan way. As many of you know, bipartisanship in Congress is a very rare occurrence these days. So now we have two bills in the Senate. The goal is to have the Senate pass H.R. 3101 because it is a stronger, more consumer-focused bill than S. 3304. I will also add that Eric was in the House gallery to witness the vote, and it was definitely an exciting milestone that followed many hours of hard work that has occurred during all hours of the day over the past couple of years. However, as Eric's comments indicated, there is still work to do in the Senate. We will keep you posted as the bill moves through that chamber. For those of you who want the latest updates but don't want to wait for the next issue of the Braille Forum, feel free to call the Washington Connection at 1-800-424-8666. We will keep our legislative messages updated as events on Capitol Hill warrant it, and you can listen to them any time during evenings and weekends or weekdays before 2 p.m. Eastern Time. We will, of course, report on any new developments in future issues of this magazine as well. Summary of the ACB Board of Directors Teleconference, June 9, 2010, by Marcia Dresser. The ACB Board of Directors met via conference call on June 9. All board members were present except Jeff Tom and Billie Jean Keith. Despite being on vacation, Executive Director Melanie Brunson was also in attendance. President Mitch Pomerantz convened the meeting at 8.38 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. After the agenda was adopted as submitted by Pomerantz, David Trott made a motion to approve the minutes of the mid-year board meeting. The motion was seconded by Marlena Lieberg, who thanked Ray Campbell for taking the minutes in her absence. The motion carried. Pomerantz reported that Maricopa County, Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio was slated to be the GDUI luncheon speaker to discuss his work with abused and abandoned animals. However, because of his controversial views regarding the new Arizona immigration laws, threats were made to picket the luncheon, so the GDUI board voted to rescind the invitation. Dina Wilson's last day at ACB was June 4th, Unfortunately, she was unable to bring in additional revenue. Patricia Castillo, Brunson's administrative assistant, has accepted a position with United Healthcare. Her last day was June 11th. Brunson, Pomerantz, Lane Waters, and Carla Rushable will make sure there will be adequate staffing for the convention. NFB has hired a consultant, Jeffrey Witt, to work on the accessible currency issue. He has developed new prototypes using tactile and size options that the Treasury Department did not consider and has asked permission to get feedback from ACB conventioneers. This issue is of grave concern. 
The Treasury Department suggested providing money identifiers to everyone certified as legally blind as an interim measure, but they must not stop there. Also, Judge Robertson is retiring, so a new judge will be appointed to oversee the court decision. After considerable deliberation, Chris Gray moved that the president or his designee indicate that we would make space available at the convention for either individuals or groups to participate and provide feedback on prototype bills Wit has to show, and that we further authorize the president or his designee to discuss with Wit possible further involvement by ACB based on our impressions of his material and advice of our counsel. Lieberg seconded, and the motion carried. Gray reported that the new database is fully loaded now, and although there are still some minor glitches, it should be ready for further beta testing shortly. Lieberg moved acceptance of the president's report, and Campbell seconded. The motion carried. Next, Sandra Sermons and Pam Shaw, chair and member, respectively, of the International Relations Committee, discussed with the board possible collaboration between ACB and Elder Hostel. Elder Hostel organizes travel and learn programs combining international travel, education, and experiential learning. A trip to Spain, partnering with ONCE, the Spanish Agency for the Blind in Spain, is planned for October 18, 2010. Twenty ACB members are going. Sermons said that if this trip is successful, the goal is to expand to other countries, and these trips could be an opportunity for fundraising for ACB. Lieberg moved that collaboration between ACB and Elder Hostel be explored, and Campbell seconded. The motion carried. Pomerantz asked Sermons to get the draft agreement to him and Brunson by June 22nd. Track phone wireless safe link provides free cell phone service to people with low income. They are trying to introduce this program into several states via legislation and are seeking endorsement from ACB and its affiliates. Following discussion, it was decided that Pomerantz will send a letter to TrackPhone indicating that ACB is a grassroots organization whose affiliates are autonomous and that although we support the concept of the TrackPhone effort, ACB cannot endorse the specific product at this time. He will also request further information regarding their expectations. After convention, Pomerantz will convene a task force to investigate further actions vis-à-vis endorsements in general. This task force will be comprised of Michael Garrett, Burl Colley, and Jeff Tom, with Garrett serving as chair. Campbell moved to ratify the email vote by the board raising the convention function surcharge from $1 to $2. Lieberg seconded. The motion carried. After comparing schedules for several minutes, Campbell moved that the fall meeting of the ACB Board of Directors take place November 5th to 7th, 2010, probably in Reno. Lieberg seconded the motion, which was adopted. The meeting adjourned at 10.25 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. ACB Conference and Convention, Great Times in the West, by Carla Rushevel. The 2010 ACB Conference and Convention was nothing short of terrific. Every convention has its special qualities and unique characteristics, 
and we all returned home from Phoenix with a whole new set of great ACB memories. I want to take this opportunity to publicly thank the staff of the Phoenix Downtown Sheraton Hotel for its outstanding work on this conference. Whether it was early morning or late at night, the staff was always there with a smile, working to make this a fabulous conference week. The ACB Cafe was outstanding, and the cash and carry line at the auction was to be commended. Thanks also to the Arizona Host Committee for your hard work and for your special ACB spirit. Your Southwest Treasures welcome party with its mariachi band was great fun and set the tone for the entire week. A huge thanks goes to the ACB National Convention Committee, staff, and volunteers who pitched in to make this convention possible. Without each and every one of you, the week would not have been successful. Now we turn from the sunny Southwest north to the Silver State. The 2011 ACB Conference and Convention will be in Reno the week of July 8th to 16th. It's ACB's golden anniversary, our 50th, and the excitement is already beginning to build. The Nevada Local Host Committee is up and running, and plans are starting to take shape. The fabulous John Ascuaga's Nugget Hotel Resort Casino is our convention home, and rates are $87 a night, single double plus tax. Add $10 per night for each additional person in your room. This fabulous hotel has two 29 story towers with over 1,500 rooms, eight restaurants, six bars, pool, fitness center, and, of course, a casino. I plan to highlight a different attraction or hotel feature each month. This month, we'll start with Rosie's Cafe, a 24 hour restaurant with a much varied menu. Rosie's currently features daily specials from 11 a.m. to 11 p.m. for $6.95. Good stuff like chicken and dumplings, beef tips, salads, sandwiches, and veggies. From 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., Rosie's offers a steak and egg special for $4.95. Think I'll be staying up late or getting up early. Prices and featured items are, of course, subject to change. Get in on the fun. Make hotel reservations by calling 1-800-648-1177. Use group code GBLIND to ensure that you receive the ACB rate. On the serious side, we are already beginning work on session programs and schedules, exhibits, advertising and sponsorships, and more. Materials will soon be available for affiliates, committees, and companies who wish to participate in the ACB 50th Anniversary Celebration. For more information, call the ACB National Office at 202 467 5081 or 1 800 424 8666 or contact Carla Rushevel, Chair. ACB National Conference and Convention Committee at 502 303 or by email at adamcarla at bellsouth dot net. Phoenix, up from the ashes of a prehistoric civilization by Penny Crane. 
I attended the 2010 ACB Conference Convention in Phoenix, the fifth largest U.S. city, where every noisy, bustling, modern convenience abounds. I was amazed to learn that this huge cosmopolitan city was built over the ancient remains of a site used by a prehistoric people, the Hohokams. End of side one. Side two. The Braille Forum. Volume forty nine. September two thousand ten. Number three. This side contains. ACB members find treasures at auction by Brenda Dillon. Second annual ACB walk is a wrap by Dan Dillon. Dog hair in the air by Netajine Kirkpatrick. What I learned in sight saving class by Cheryl A. Price. A sailing story: the spiritual and transformational aspects of sailing by Vic Lianza. Lagging behind my father. As he revisited the North Carolina School for the Deaf at Morganton, nineteen ninety-six, by John Lee Clark. Reflections of a First-Time Babysitter by Mike Halley. Affiliate News. Continuing with Phoenix, up from the ashes of a prehistoric civilization, by Penny Crane. For seventeen centuries. The Hohokams successfully and continuously operated an irrigation system in this great desert valley. No one knows why these people disappeared long ago, but modern men and engineering have built modern structures upon the ancient canals. About ten thousand years ago, the Pueblo and Southwest tribes moved into this desert area. On my visit to Phoenix's renowned Heard Museum, a tour had been arranged for attendees. I learned a lot about these tribal desert dwellers. The Heard Museum is dedicated entirely to Native American art, especially of the Southwest Indians who live in this arid area. Their culture, experiences, and struggles are shown. As a nation, in our sometimes bloody conquests, we could have learned so much from these people. The museum tour left me with a feeling of appreciation, sympathy, and understanding for these Native American peoples. Our guide was a beautiful, soft-spoken Navajo girl who visits her grandmother on the reservation once a month. The following is just a small glimpse of a few of the Southwest tribes. Navajo. The Navajo are the largest tribe in America. In fact, one hundred years ago there were barely ten thousand of them. Today there are over seventy thousand. The 16 million acre Navajo reservation completely surrounds the large Hopi reservation, and expands over the entire northeast part of Arizona and the adjoining northwest part of New Mexico. They have their own language, courts, and judges. The Heard Museum has a vast collection of beautiful Navajo rugs, famous the world over. Many pieces of silver jewelry and numerous sand paintings are on display. Hopi. Their tribal name means the peaceful ones. Many Hopi villages were built on narrow mesa tops as a defense against the Spanish. The Heard Museum has more than seventeen thousand kachina dolls, which the Hopi call katsina. Male and female kachinas, called salako, with their colorful headdresses, represent grace and beauty. The Hopi regard the kachina as spirit essences. The dolls are made from the root of the cottonwood tree. 
These dolls are given to Hopi girls and infants. The Hopi also make beautiful pottery. Apache. Apache means the people. Like the other Southwest tribes, they are a matriarchal society. One of their most important ceremonies is the four-day maiden puberty rite. During the ceremony, the spirit dancers wear elaborately painted headdresses made of slats of agave stalks sewn together. The Heard Museum has many beautiful cradle boards. Contrary to general belief, according to our guide, these cradle boards are not worn on the back. The back is to carry burdens, and their beloved children are not burdens. Tohono Atum. The name means the desert people. This tribe has been weaving baskets for at least two thousand years, and makes more baskets than any other tribe. These coiled baskets come in a variety of shapes. They are made of devil's claw and yucca, sewn over a bundle of bear grass. Some are woven so tight that they can hold water. The museum also has a large collection of their willow baskets, horsehair lariats, carved wooden bowls, and pottery. After the conference convention, I headed home to the most southern part of the state of Arizona. I live just about in the shadow of the Chiricahua Mountains, former home of the Chiricahua Apaches. I live in a county named after that most famous Chiricahua Apache chief, Cochise. I'm so glad that this year's conference convention gave me the opportunity to visit the Heard Museum. And learn so much more about Native American tribal culture and heritage. ACB members find treasures at auction. On Wednesday evening, July fourteenth, the ACB treasure hunt auction was held. What an evening of fun! There was a wonderful array of treasures to be claimed by the highest bidder. The items provided by our state and special interest affiliates were amazing and tremendously varied. Thanks to all of the affiliates who contributed packages to support the auction. As we moved on to the general merchandise segments, we were tempted by fabulous technology items, one-of-a-kind collectibles, sports memorabilia, an autographed guitar, jewelry, vacation packages, yummy homemade goodies, luxurious bath and body products. Wonderful educational and just for fun books, and tons of other wonderful offerings. The auction brought in over sixteen thousand three hundred dollars, and we are so deeply grateful to all individuals and companies who contributed so generously. We also sincerely appreciate each person who supported the auction by coming and joining in the fun and fundraising. Many thanks also go to the volunteers who helped set up and facilitate the smooth running of the various aspects of the auction. Special acknowledgement to our three great auctioneers: Jeff Tom, Cindy Van Winkle, and Mitch Pomerantz. It takes all of us working together. So congratulations for a job well done. Brenda Dillon. Second annual ACB Walk is a wrap. By Dan Dillon. On Saturday, July tenth, sixty-two people walked a mile or two or three around Arizona Mills Mall's indoor walking path. The walk also included twenty virtual walkers participating from paths in their hometowns. It raised a total of eighteen thousand seven hundred forty-four dollars.
We extend a very special thank you to Regal Entertainment Group for generously contributing $3,000 as a pace setter sponsor. Their financial support allowed us to provide transportation to and from the walk site, as well as the Go the Extra Mile for ACB tote bags and medals and trophies for our winners. In addition, we applaud Regal's commitment to making audio described movies available in most of their theaters. We are grateful to Arizona Mills and their accommodating staff for allowing us to hold our walk in their mall. Thanks to Orbit Research for donating an iBill talking banknote identifier, to School Specialty Store for a $100 gift certificate, and to Dick's Sporting Goods for three $20 gift cards, which were all used for prizes for our walk drawings. Sincere appreciation goes to Vitamin Water and to Vistar for the snacks and beverages. We couldn't have done it without all the wonderful volunteers who showed up to serve as sighted guides and assisted in a variety of other ways, too. Hats off to the host committee for your invaluable connections in the community and for all your hard work. Finally, heartfelt thanks to each person who participated, either as a walker or a pledger. Trophies were awarded as follows. First place finisher was Robert Spangler. Honorable mention to our second place finisher, Ken Stewart. And to our third place finisher, Ray Campbell. Our oldest participant was Teddy Joy Remhild, and our youngest participant was Sarah Conrad. Our top fundraising individual was Donna Brown. Our top fundraising team was Cindy and Tim Van Winkle. And the affiliate raising the most was the Washington Council of the Blind. In addition to those mentioned above, others receiving trophies for having raised over $1,000 were Ron and Palma Milliman and Dan and Brenda Dillon. Medals were given to all participants who raised $100 or more in pledges. Plans are already being discussed for the ACB Walk venue in Reno. Let's all go the extra mile for ACB. By seriously thinking about participating in next year's walk. Dog Hair in the Air. First in line walked into the cafe, but a surprise there awaited us. They were short handed, only three employees. Unexpectedly, we caused a fuss. The manager allowed only a few in, something about too many at one time. Maybe she thought we'd scare the regulars, or something about dogs in the line. She said some of us could enter, those of us without a dog, but we cane people wouldn't do that. Somehow it just seemed wrong. I was near the back, so I'm guessing bits overheard came my way. Someone called the police. An interesting start of the day. One officer arrived there promptly. Nodding to us, he strolled inside. Then the officer called a backup. The cafe manager was surely surprised. I've no idea of their conversation. The policeman came out with a grin. They told us, Enjoy your breakfast. And we, smiling, went on in. We lined up and placed our orders. We, with some sight, helped those with less. We enjoyed the good food and the friendship. And cleaned up when we made a mess. Those employees, no doubt, will remember that day and what transpired in there. 
the ADA and some immovable blind folks, and the cafe bosses cry, dog hair in the air. Netagene Kirkpatrick. What I Learned in Sightsaving Class by Cheryl A. Price. Sightsaving? What do I remember? How did a class for those with vision disabilities prepare me for the future? It is hard to remember all that occurred within that class that influenced me. I was diagnosed before I entered first grade with extreme farsightedness. The farsightedness was so extreme that my mother was told that I could not clearly see her face or see the leaves on trees, and that I did not know what she looked like. For a parent to receive such information must have been a shock. But my mother is a strong woman, and she determined that my vision difficulties would not be a hindrance to my life. My father was equally supportive. A sight-saving class to help me adjust to the farsightedness was recommended. Sight-saving classes used a number of tools not ordinarily available in public schools. The term is no longer used today. There was no such class in my hometown of Wheaton, Illinois, and I remember being picked up by a large station wagon that made the rounds of the other suburbs and picked up students to attend classes in Villa Park, Illinois. The classes were taught by a marvelous teacher, Mildred Toms. Mrs. Toms had grown up with a vision problem herself, so she was especially aware of what was needed for the class and how she could help each student. There were two students to each grade. There were six grades and twelve students. I had the same teacher for four grades. My glasses at that time were a quarter of an inch thick. I know one of the students did not wear glasses. His eyesight was extremely bad, and I think he lost his sight later on. I remember him struggling to read the large print books with his eyes two inches from the page. The doctor who treated my vision problems told my mother that it would not hurt my eyes to read, and I remember being a constant visitor to the public library. Our home was filled with books. I read fairy tales when I was young and enjoyed them tremendously. I did not realize until later in life how much they influenced me. There was always an emphasis on the good. That emphasis on the positive was also present in my sight-saving class. I learned that I should not place limits on myself. I expected to be able to do what everyone else did and not be held back. Though the positive was emphasized, there was also a concern that we must be able to manage should we lose our vision. As a consequence, I learned to type in the third grade. There were no letters on the keys. We had to learn them by heart. There was a reading machine in the class and a record player. The equipment for the class was partially supplied through the Lions Club. Once a year, we would put on a program to thank them for their support. As my vision improved, plans were made to mainstream me back to public schools. I hated to leave the friends I had made during four years of sight-saving, but my parents wanted me to resume as normal a life as possible. However, there were problems returning to public school. I could not see the lessons written on the blackboards, and I was a stranger to the other people in the class. I had few friends. Still, I progressed, and my vision continued to improve. Having a visual disability can cause problems. 
I remember that in many classes from junior high on, teachers seemed to rush to erase the blackboard before I could completely copy lessons that I could not see from my seat. It was frustrating. In high school, I did not take driver's education. I could not read signs for streets until I was right on top of them. That problem persists. So I do not drive a car. There was one thing I learned in growing up keep trying to pursue my dreams. I wanted an education, and I obtained three master's degrees. I believed in myself, and I remember Mrs. Tom's actions and words as an inspiration to succeed. I was also fortunate to have the support of my family. My dreams always involved writing, and my education eventually led me to work first in libraries and then in the newspaper world. A newspaper person often goes out and covers stories. I could not drive, but I found ways to pursue stories either by phone or in person. Now that I look back on my life, I realize how important those dreams I had as a child were. I learned to set my own limits, thanks to Mrs. Tom's. I learned how tremendously supportive my family was. And most of all, I learned not to look upon my visual difficulties as a handicap. But an incentive to succeed in life. A sailing story The Spiritual and Transformational Aspects of Sailing by Vic Lianza. In my freshman year at the University of Notre Dame, a metamorphosis occurred. It was one of a number of transformations which was to influence my life and the lives of others. I had attended public schools from kindergarten through the twelfth grade. Much time was spent on English, math, science, social studies, and recreational activities. Now I found myself in a totally different atmosphere with the emphasis on developing mental, physical, and spiritual excellence. The university is now twice as large as it was when I was a student there. At that time, I was also visually impaired. Some called it legally blind, and I was struggling to maintain my academic and extracurricular responsibilities with some success. Classes were challenging, and campus life was interesting, but nothing like what was to come. One day, as I was strolling along on the beautiful grounds of Our Lady's University, with its well groomed lawns and gorgeous trees, I decided to walk down near one of the two lakes on the campus. I encountered a little muscle bound man dressed in a swimsuit who was about to plunge into the cold waters of St. Joseph's Lake. I had no idea that he was a priest at that moment. He began to regard me with some interest, noticing my tendency to stand very close to many of the objects which I was observing. He started toward me and began to speak. God bless you, my son, he said. I see that you have been presented with a visual challenge. If you will permit me to make a suggestion, I would recommend that you meet me at the boathouse on the other side of this lake in about twenty minutes, if you have the time. I have something to show you. Whereupon he dove into the chilly waters and proceeded to swim off into the distance, well beyond my limited vision. About fifteen minutes later, I was standing by the little boathouse on the other side of the lake. When a small, heavy set priest came hustling toward me with a set of keys jingling in his hand, he proceeded to unlock the building and open the two doors at the top of a ramp leading down from the boathouse to the water. 
I moved in closer and began to make out several small boats, neatly stacked in rows inside. Soon we were carrying one of the boats down the ramp. He had very little trouble with the weight of the boat. Later I found out that he was also in charge of the weightlifting program in the student athletics center. That's how it all started. I learned how to sail. Usually others steered the boat while I handled the lines. Then I became a member of the sailing team. I handled the jib sheets when we raced against Michigan. I graduated to the main sheet when we raced against Northwestern, and so on. The rest is history. After graduation, I sailed with people who owned larger sailboats. Finally, I bought my first sailboat when I became gainfully employed. I have owned and operated a number of sailboats, one at a time, in a slow succession throughout my adult life. My years as a professional psychologist have been filled with challenges, but my avocational activities as a blind sailor, teaching my sighted friends to sail as they provide visual feedback for me when we are underway, has given me much pleasure. My wife of many years was one of my early sailing mates. Later, I taught my two children to sail. My son is presently the captain of a tall ship. My eyesight gradually decreased and finally disappeared completely after many failed surgeries. Then it happened: a twenty-six-foot Pearson masthead sloop was donated to the Cleveland Sight Center in 1994. The Cleveland Sight Center is a large nonprofit agency which provides many services for persons who are blind or visually impaired in Northeast Ohio. I was asked by the executive director of the agency to start a sailing program at the center, since I was the only blind sailor that he knew. The sailing program has now been operating for many years. It began with one boat and twelve people in 1995, and now has two boats and almost 100 people, half of whom are sighted and half of whom are blind or visually impaired. We have twelve teams of eight people each. Two teams go out each evening during the week from May through October. People join together in a mutually interdependent experience as they sail with their team each week. We do this on Lake Erie, which provides many challenges as well as beautiful sunsets and plenty of multisensory experiences. So you see, the transformation has been passed on. The Spirit moves us. You might say it is the Holy Spirit at work. Lagging behind my father. As he revisited the North Carolina School for the Deaf at Morganton, 1996, I lingered on the hill where my father often walked as a boy, perhaps daydreaming, just like I was, eyes deep in their sockets, so not to see too much. Then my eyes peered out of their sweet recess to see the sidewalk ahead, no longer carrying my father. I ran, my feet pounding the sloping squares of muted light bridging over the swell of land that suddenly became air. My surprised legs floundered, then wheeled mysteriously as I swam through sky, somersaulting once, again, my fingers brushing concrete as a heel bumped against the railing of the stairs leading down to where my father stood waiting. His mouth opened as I somehow landed, staggering but still standing. As his first son, 
eyes slowly peering out again after a dream just lived. John Lee Clark Reflections of a First-Time Babysitter In my life, there are many things I never thought I would be able to accomplish because I am blind. One of these tasks was babysitting. Ever since my teen years, I have had a fascination with how to care for children. This was largely due to the fact that I grew up an only child without siblings to practice on. My dream of babysitting was realized on October 10th. Sheila Ryan, who is my personal trainer, gave me a chance to watch her two kids, Josie and Jude. Josie is seven and Jude is four. Jude is nonverbal, so this makes communication somewhat difficult. Surprisingly, my first attempt at caring for children went very well. Josie was my eyes and ears, letting me know where she and Jude were at all times. The house is very big, but the layout is fairly simple— One of the things I will need to work on is being firm when necessary. I have babysat several more times since then and have acquired a few interesting techniques along the way. For instance, it is important to have a soft tone of voice when disciplining children. This lets them know that you still love them, but you want them to be safe, too. I also learned how to change diapers. Believe it or not, there are techniques— Babysitting is still a learning experience, but it is one that I enjoy. I am not doing this to simply help out a friend. I am proving to myself and others that this is a skill that, when learned and practiced, can be very useful. I hope to one day have a family, and I know these skills will come in handy. Mike Halley Affiliate News Run away to Vancouver The Washington Council of the Blind will hold its state convention November 11th to 13th at the Hilton Vancouver Hotel. Room rates are $92 per night plus tax. To make your reservation, call 360-993-4500. Convention registration comes in three varieties. Registration only, $15. Registration plus banquet, $45. Registration plus five major meals, $95. The deadline for registration and special requests is October 15th. Late registration costs $25. Late registration with five meals costs $125. There is a free bus available departing from Seattle with stops in Federal Way and Tacoma. For more information, call the Washington Council of the Blinds toll-free line 1-800-255-1147. Top Dog Workshop The 2011 Top Dog Workshop will take place from January 6th to 9th, 2011, at the Four Points by Sheraton Studio City, located on International Drive in Orlando, Florida with room rates at $79 per night plus tax. The facility is within easy access of the attractions that draw millions of visitors to this city throughout the year. You will be able to incorporate vacation plans during your visit to Orlando, as the hotel is offering convention rates for three nights before the event begins and three nights after its conclusion. Reaching Orlando via plane, train, or bus is readily achievable throughout the country. 
Volunteers will be available to meet you at the airport, train, or bus station. You will be asked to provide us with your travel itinerary as soon as it is available in order for us to coordinate this service. End of Side 2. Side 3. The Braille Forum. Volume 49. September 2010. Number 3. This side contains Here and There. Edited by Sue Lichtenfels. High Tech Swap Shop. Continuing with Affiliate News. We are offering five meals during the event dinner on Friday evening, plated breakfast, box lunch, and plated dinner on Saturday, and plated breakfast on Sunday morning. The meal costs are very affordable, with a full breakfast for Saturday and Sunday morning at $15 each. Box lunch at $15 and Saturday evening dinner at $30. We are still in the process of choosing the meal option that we will provide on Friday evening, but it is our plan to keep the cost of that meal between $15 and $20. When you register for the event, you will be able to choose the meals that you would like to purchase. The 2011 Top Dog Workshop Program will be dedicated to guide dog related issues. The program committee, consisting of guide dog users from around the country, will meet within the next couple of weeks to choose from the very wonderful program options that have been suggested to us. It is not too late for you to add your program suggestions to the list. Please email Debbie Grubb, D E B B I E C G, at V E R I Z O N dot net if you would like to suggest ideas for program options. Here and There, edited by Sue Lichtenfels. The announcement of products and services in this column does not represent an endorsement by the American Council of the Blind, its officers, or staff. Listings are free of charge for the benefit of our readers. The Braille Forum cannot be held responsible for the reliability of the products and services mentioned. To submit items for this column, send a message to info at acb.org. Or phone the national office at 1 800 and leave a message in Sharon Lovering's mailbox. Information must be received at least two months ahead of publication date. Guild Scholarship Program The Jewish Guild for the Blind awards scholarships to high school seniors who are legally blind and who are college bound. Applications are now being accepted for students who will enter college as freshmen in 2011. Approximately 16 scholarships, valued up to $15,000 each, are granted each year. Scholarship candidates are chosen through an online application process based on criteria relating to academic excellence, extracurricular activities, community involvement, legal blindness, and U.S. citizenship. For information on the scholarship program, contact Gordon Robbins at 212 769 or email guildscholar at jgb.org. Apply for the scholarships at www.jgb.org. All applications and supporting material. Are due by September 15th of the student's senior year. Research participants needed. 
Dr. Michael B. Gorin is conducting a nationwide study of genetic and other risk factors that contribute to the development of age-related macular degeneration. This is an observational study, not a treatment trial. Participation will include either a saliva sample or a blood draw and photos of the retina. Data collection will occur through a secure and confidential website. The study is looking for individuals from 49 to 65 years old who have or had at least one parent with macular degeneration and the parent or parents who have age-related macular degeneration or who have a sibling with the disease. More details about the study are available at https colon slash slash jseiclinres dot jsei dot ucla dot edu slash garm. The researchers on this study can be contacted by calling 1-800-286-8581. Work Accommodations Survey The Rehabilitation Engineering Research Center on Workplace Accommodations, WORK, R-E-R-C, based at Georgia Tech, works to provide better understanding of the needs for accommodations addressing employment barriers faced by people with disabilities. Its goal is to enable equal access to employment, enhanced employment outcomes, and increased participation in the workplace for individuals with disabilities. WORK, R-E-R-C, is conducting a survey that examines the relationships between functional ability, job requirements, and accommodation use. Anyone who has a disability or a loss of function and who is employed or volunteers can participate in the survey. The survey is anonymous and takes an average of 30 minutes to complete. The survey and additional information are available at www.survegizmo.com slash s slash 200473 slash w-o-r-k-p-l-a-c-e hyphen f-e-a-t-u-r-e-s hyphen t-h-a-t hyphen a-i-d hyphen F-U-N-C-T-I-O-N. For those with limited or no access to the computer, an appointment for a telephone survey can be made by calling 404-894-0561. Hadley High School Program. The Hadley School for the Blind offers a tuition-free accredited high school diploma. Hadley offers an accessible, individualized, and self-paced high school education, allowing students to earn a diploma at any age or life stage. All courses are conducted in a distance education format and are offered in a variety of media, including Braille, audio, large print, and online. Teachers are available via an 800 number, mail, or email, giving students personalized instruction. For more information on the high school program or Hadley, visit www.hadley.edu. Accessing Higher Ground Conference The 13th Accessing Higher Ground, Accessible Media, Web, and Technology Conference 
will be hosted by the Disability Services at the University of Colorado at Boulder. The conference will be held November 15th to 19th, 2010, at the Westin Hotel in Westminster, Colorado. It will focus on the implementation and benefits of assistive technology in the university and college setting for people with sensory, physical, and learning disabilities. Other topics include legal and policy issues such as ADA and 508 compliance, and making campus media and information resources, including web pages and library resources, accessible. The keynote speaker will be George Kersher. Secretary General of the Daisy Consortium. Hotel reservations should be made directly with the Westin at one eight hundred nine three seven eight four six one. Additional conference details are at www.coloradio.edu/atconference/slash. Lt underscore o v e r v i e w two zero one zero dot html. Disney adds more accessibility for blind. Last year, Disney unveiled its handheld device that allows for audio description on many of its rides. Now at Disney World. Audio descriptions of the outdoor environment, along with the location of restroom facilities and restaurant menus, are available through this device. It uses a wireless signal to pinpoint the device's location in the park, and then loads pre-programmed interactive audio menus for that area. This expanded accessibility will be available at Disneyland Resort next year. Disney has patented and licensed the assistive technology, which is already being used at the World of Coca-Cola Museum, the Hall at Patriot Place, and the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Disney has received the National Society of Professional Engineers 2010 New Product Award because of the potential access this technology could provide. Guests can borrow this device for a fully refundable deposit from the guest relations desk. To learn about all of Disney's accessibility features for people who are blind, visit www.disneyworld.com or call 407-824-4321. Grant for research on Sjogren's syndrome. Dr. Hui Shao. Associate Professor of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at the University of Louisville School of Medicine, has received a $60,000 Lou R. Wasserman Merit Award from the Research to Prevent Blindness (RPB) organization. The grant will help fund Shaw's research of Sjogren's syndrome, a chronic autoimmune disease that targets the salivary and lacrimal glands, the glands that produce saliva and tears. Resulting in dry mouth and dry eye symptoms, Shaw and her team recently discovered a protein called KLK22 that appears to play a role in the development of Sjogren's syndrome. With further research, this protein could prove to be an effective biomarker in the diagnosis of the disease. Community Champion Honors. Congratulations to Wanda Austin. Who was honored by Molina Healthcare of Florida as one of its first-ever community champions? 
Wanda won the award in the health professional category for her counseling work and community service. Blind for 15 years, Wanda is a nationally certified and licensed mental health counselor for Lighthouse of Pinellas, where she provides individual and family counseling, facilitates psychoeducational groups, and teaches self-advocacy. Student Enterprise Honored Congratulations to the California School for the Blind, CSB, for its upcoming Creative Use of Braille Award honors from the American Printing House, APH. The CSB's student-driven business enterprise, Lucky Touch Braille Fortune Cookie Company, will be recognized at APH's annual meeting in October. The award was established to recognize significant accomplishments in the development of products, ideas, or promotional efforts that increase the availability of Braille. For the last 12 years, this CSB enterprise has become internationally known for selling cookies that include Braille fortunes. Prescription Discounts for GDB Graduates Vet-centric and Guide Dogs for the Blind have developed a partnership to provide graduates of GDB with discounted pricing on prescription medications for their dog guides. VetCentric is a leading provider of EPA and FDA-approved veterinary medications for home delivery. To take advantage of the discounts, graduates must register on www.guidedogs.org, print the special order form, and take it to their veterinary clinic for a doctor's prescription. For additional information on VetCentric, visit www.vetcentric.com. Braille Love Pendant National Braille Press now offers a Braille pendant. The pendant is the creation of jewelry designer Kelly Fair, who makes jewelry for her niece Emily, who reads Braille. The pendant measures one and one-quarter inches by one-quarter inch. It's made of pure dark copper with the word love on it and a small raised heart at the bottom. The pendant is strung on a 16-inch waxed cotton cord with a lobster clasp. You can view the pendant by visiting www.nbp.org slash ic slash nbp slash P-E-N-D-A-N-T hyphen L-O-V-E dot H-T-M-L. For more information, call 1-800-548-7323. Rehabilitation Leader Recognized At its spring commencement ceremony, Salus University honored Lawrence F. Campbell, President of the International Council for Education of People with Visual Impairments, ICEVI, with the honorary degree of Doctor of Humane Letters. Campbell took the opportunity to speak about his first experience with a person with visual impairment and how it changed his career path. Campbell is currently chairperson of the ICEVI Global Task Force on Education for All Children with Visual Impairment, a member of the Executive Committee of the World Blind Union, and a founding member of Vision Alliance, a consortium of three global umbrella organizations for prevention, education, and rehabilitation of the blind and visually impaired. Friedlander wins Bressler Prize. 
Dr. Martin Friedlander, a California eye disease researcher, recently received the Jewish Guild for the Blind's 2010 Alfred W. Bressler Prize in Vision Science. Friedlander is a full professor in the Department of Cell Biology and the graduate program in Macromolecular and Cellular Structure and Chemistry at the Scripps Research Institute. He is also the staff ophthalmologist and chief of retina services at Scripps Clinic and Green Hospital, both located in La Jolla, California. The committee chose him because of his extraordinary work with cell biological research and clinical issues of retinal disease. Subjects he has pursued from his early days as a junior faculty member at the Rockefeller University in New York. New NLS Player Case Executive Products now offers a water resistant Italian faux leather case for the NLS digital talking book player. The case fits snugly but offers complete access to all the keys, ports, and cartridge area. An outside zipper pocket can hold up to three spare cartridges. It includes a shoulder strap and hand carry strap. The case fits both the standard and advanced NLS digital book players. For more information, visit www.executiveproducts.inc.com or call 818 833 888. Executive Products offers similar cases for many assistive technology products. Seedlings expand selection. Seedlings' new 2010 catalog has over 1,000 low cost titles available. The newest additions to the catalog include Clifford's Noisy Day by Norman Bridwell, Uncontracted, Little Feet Love by Piggy Toes Press, Uncontracted, Numbers by Scholastic, Uncontracted, Are You My Mommy by Mae Brown, Biscuits Pet and Play Christmas by Alyssa Satin Capuccilli, A Good Day by Kevin Hanks, It's Spring by Samantha Berger and Pamela Chanko, Wake Up Little Ones by Piggy Toes Press, and Where Is Love Biscuit by Alyssa Satin Capuccilli. Seedlings serves blind children from birth to age 14 and blind adults who read to sighted children throughout the United States and in over 75 countries around the world. For more information, visit www.seedlings.org or call 1 800 777 8552. Customer Service Training Individuals who are visually impaired, blind, or otherwise disabled and who seek employment training in the customer service field are eligible to apply for the Statler Training and Education Connection, STEC. The National Statler Center offers this class at its Buffalo, New York campus. The seven week STEC course provides thorough customer service training for jobs in contact centers, financial and medical offices, transportation, and communications fields. Training also includes the Microsoft Office Suite and personal job search assistance, which has resulted in an 82% job placement rate for graduates. More information is available by calling Jeff Pease at the Statler Center. 
at 716-888-4526 or by visiting www.statlercenter.org. High-Tech Swap Shop For Sale Netbook with Windows 7 and NVDA installed plus System Access Screen Reader, which needs a license. It has a 160-gig hard drive, 1 gig of RAM, and a 1.6-gig Atom processor. Asking $300. Contact Mark Goodridge at 610-376-4546. For sale. BrailleNote PK version 8.0 with Ambicom wireless card and compact flashcards. Asking $2,850. Additional Ambicom cards are available for sale separately. Contact Karen at 718-692-4519 or email k-a-r-e-n dot b-e-r-g-e-r at v-e-r-i-z-o-n dot net. For sale. Magnesite inline CCTV system, 17-inch black and white monitor. Less than two years old. Comes with manual and all cables. Asking $1,000 or best offer. Contact Michael at 312-504-2330 or via email at mrhealy2u at yahoo.com. For sale. Bookport Reader with USB Cable Flashcard, CD software, and instruction manual. Asking $10 plus shipping. Contact Cynthia, 408-656-2102, or email C-I-R-Q-U-I-T-O-U-S-650 at yahoo.com. For sale. Electronic magnifier that works with laptops and desktops. Comes with all cables and software, as well as a carrying case. Will be shipped in the original box. Still under warranty. Asking $450. Payment must be in the form of a money order in Canadian or U.S. funds. Please contact Nancy at 319-217-8385 or... O-W-E-N-R-Y-D-E-R at S-Y-M-P-A-T-I-C-O dot C-A. For sale. K-N-F-B reader. Phone is through AT&T. Instructions are included. The device is in great condition. Asking $2,000 or best offer. Contact Deborah Shane via email. D-E-B-O-R-A-H dot S-H-A-N-E at S-B-C-G-L-O-B-A-L dot net. For sale. BrailleNote M-Power BT-18 running latest build of Keysoft. Comes with all cards, Ethernet and wireless, AC adapter, Braille manual, Sendero GPS version 5 with CF card with U.S. map of your choice, GPS receiver with AC adapter. Asking $2,500. BrailleNote is in perfect condition. Recently had battery replaced and Braille display cleaned. 
Contact Hope via email, H-O-P-E dot P-A-U-L-O-S at G-M-A-I-L dot com. For sale, Packmate QX400 comes with carrying case and strap, comes with quick start cards in braille and print, a quick start guide, the companion CD, contains MS ActiveSync 3.7 and Outlook 2002 software for desktop PC, an AC adapter, A to Mini B USB cable, and user's documentation CD. Used only a few hours, asking $1,400 plus $20 for shipping and insurance. Two Brytech NoteTeller 2 machines. May have trouble reading newest denominations, but otherwise they work superbly. $75 each. Contact Larry Rayleigh at jlr1 at att.net or 281-444-0907. For sale, early 90s Santana Tandem Bicycle. In excellent condition. This bike fits captains from about 5 feet 8 inches to 6 feet 2 inches. Asking $1,100, payment plan can be negotiated. For more information, contact Nino Pacini via email, N-I-N-O-P-A-C-I-N-I at G-M-A-I-L dot com, or call him at 313-885-7330. For sale. SAL by Freedom Scientific. The SAL is a speech-assisted learning device great for children and novice Braille learners. SAL is complete with Braille lessons. However, the device is no longer being made, so there are no additional lesson plans. Includes the lesson plans and frame that goes on top of the unit for tactile learning. The unit is in great condition and comes in its original cases. Asking $500 or best offer plus shipping. Contact Nina at 617-699-4714 or N-I-N-A at L-I-T-T-L-E-B-R-E-E-Z-E-S dot com. For sale, Toshiba laptop with 15.6-inch wide screen, 320-gig hard drive, 4 gigs RAM, Intel dual-core processor, Windows XP Professional, Office, JAWS, and ZoomText. Asking $975. Desktop computer with 1 terabyte hard drive, 2 gigs RAM, Windows XP Home Edition, JAWS, and ZoomText. Asking $500, including shipping. Contact Jose at 818-220-6256. For sale. BrailleNote. BT32 comes with Sendero GPS, power adapter, GPS receiver and adapter for that, along with USB plugs. Asking $4,000 or best offer. Contact Governor Staten via email, govsta at gmail.com or via phone, 754-484-4871.
ACB officers. President, Mitch Pomerantz, 1115 Cordova Street, number 402, Pasadena, California, 91106. First Vice President, Kim Charlson, 57 Grandview Avenue, Watertown, Massachusetts, 02472. Second Vice President, Brenda Dillon, 313 Overridge Cove, Hermitage, Tennessee, 37076. Secretary, Marlena Lieberg, 632 South 189th Street, Burien, Washington, 98148. Treasurer, Mike Godino, 104 Tillrose Avenue, Malvern, New York, 11565-2024. Immediate Past President, Christopher Gray, 94 Ramona Avenue, San Francisco, California, 94103. ACB Board of Directors, Ray Campbell, Glen Ellen, Illinois, Burl Colley, Lacey, Washington, Janet Dickelman, St. Paul, Minnesota, Marsha Farrow, Somerville, Georgia, Michael Garrett, Missouri City, Texas, George Holliday, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Billie Jean Keith, Arlington, Virginia, Alan Peterson, Horace, North Dakota, Jeff Tom, Sacramento, California, David Trott, Talladega, Alabama, ex officio, Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. Board of Publications Paul Edwards, Chairman, Miami, Florida. Marsha Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Judy Jackson, San Antonio, Texas. Janine Stanley, Columbus, Ohio. Ken Stewart, Warwick, New York. Ex officio, Ron Milliman, Bowling Green, Kentucky. End of Side 3